Hello, welcome to Blades Pod, the Sheffield United podcast. My name is Ben. Uh, I'm, of course, a Sheffield United fan. Uh, got something a little bit different this week. I have a guest on the podcast for the first time in in its history since inception. Uh, so I'm I'm joined. I had a chat last night with uh, Jay Sosik, who is a another blade like me. Is uh, uh, also a budding EFL analyst. Um, we break down the victory over Leeds this weekend. We talk uh, at, at some length about. Uh, Billy Sharp's season so far, and uh, you know the, the kind of great performances he's been putting in. Uh, we look at why uh, midfield isn't scoring many goals, and quite a few other topics as well. Um, get into in in quite a lot of detail, but um, I think it's uh, I think it's a very interesting discussion. I hope you think so too. Um, so yeah, check it out. Here it comes. All right, so I am joined uh, for the first time. I have a guest on Blades Pod, so I'm I'm very grateful to welcome uh, Jay Sosik to the show. Um, welcome, Jay. Hello, all. Uh, yeah, Jay is a fellow Sheffield United fan, uh, data statistical enthusiast. I think is possibly um, a, a good way of describing you. Is that is that fair, Jay? Up. Uh- Perceives that I may be of the geekish variety, but yes, that is a very well <laughs> way of describing it. Um, so Jay and I have had some interactions on Twitter. Um, it's been very interesting reading some of the some of his uh, his takes on our performances, on our games, etc. And he, he very generously agreed to um, to appear on this podcast uh, to talk about uh, the Blades generally, and uh, more specifically this week about our win over Leeds United this weekend. Um, so just before we get into that in more detail, um, United obviously beat Leeds 2-1 this weekend. Uh, it was two goals from Billy Sharp. Uh, one was a fantastic volley. Uh, Leeds equalised early in the second half from Lasaga, uh, and then uh, United were given a, a fairly soft penalty. We can get into that in a little moment, um, which Sharp scored from. Uh, and yeah, we won 2-1. Uh, great win to kind of get us... Um, get us back towards the playoffs we still sit in eighth position although a lot of teams around us uh drew games as well this weekend so um yeah i, I, I don't know about you jay but I, I kind of felt that for the first time possibly this season that um this was a win that maybe we didn't didn't quite deserve or it, it wasn't like our best performance of the season but we managed to kind of ground out a win which um i think is something that wilder sort of spoke about after the game as well but how, how did you kind of see this one yeah, I think I, I agree with you there, Ben. As Wilder alluded to, it wasn't wasn't the most efficient performance in terms of the fluidity. I think throughout the the, the other games in the season, especially games that we've lost, if you think of Bristol City, um, Aston Villa, these have been games where we've played very well, been very fluid going forwards, uh, may have not always created the uh, most clear cut of chances, but certainly dominated the game and not got the result. Whereas at the weekend, a little bit more of a a lackluster performance going forwards and in, in terms of the control of the game, which I think we're normally very good at, yet we got the win. Uh, interestingly, though, uh, I'm sure, I know you follow uh, Experimental 361 and his stats are similar to mine for the XG on this game, which is that Sheffield United at XG was 1.5 and Leeds was 1.2. Yeah, I saw that as well. It, does that, one thing I, I didn't look into actually on that is, um, is that, I mean, the big swing there is the fact we've got a penalty, right? So if you kind of, I think if you take that out then it sort of looks slightly different I mean obviously it still counts but yeah no slightly I mean statistically penalties are scored around about a 0.78 ratio that's what you get on the XG chart Um, 
Round, might not. round about 0. 0.78. <laughs> round about. Um, <laughs> that may not be precisely Ben's model, but if you're looking at that, then yes, uh, you know, take the penalty out and then Leeds, yes, would have had the, the more XG. However, there was, of course, the sharp header after he'd scored, um, yeah. which was a clear, very clear-cut opportunity. As much as Billy was fantastic on the day, uh, that's that's a chance you'd normally see him gobble up. So th- I, think the, I, I think the game was all about the turning points in the game. Um, obviously, the, the penalty being key. Uh, Lusaga's goal was at a time when Leeds had just bought on Kimar, uh, t- took off sorry Kimar Roof uh, and bought on Hernandez, and actually that change was forced upon them, but actually changed the game in their favour. Yeah, I, I thought, certainly thought so. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I, th- I thought he looked really good actually. Hernandez, they were um, at least definitely improved when when he came on. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it was entirely related to that, but I, I definitely felt it was uh, a really good first half from us. Um, and as you you know you mentioned there, the the sharp chance we definitely should have scored from. Um, there was another fantastic move as well. I remember where um, I think it actually began with with Blackman kind of stepping around an attacker and then. We worked the ball all the way down the pitch. Uh, I think it was Duffy played in sharp down the left and he kind of centred it, um, but we couldn't quite finish. But yeah, so the, the way I kind of saw it was, um, it was a very dominant first half from us, I think, or, or a, a good first half from us, is kind of in keeping yeah. with recent form. Um, uh, Blackman obviously made that really good save from Janssen, I believe it was, from the free kick. Um, it was, yeah. Yeah, and then second half, I think, was a... Yeah, I, I think maybe it was with Hernandez coming on, but they, Leeds definitely had more time on the ball, more space, and just generally looked more dangerous, I think. And that's that's kind of what, what made me think, oh, you know, we're just not... This isn't a performance uh, in keeping with how we've played so far this season. Yeah, no, I, I, summarising that, I definitely agree with that point. That second half, we are very much more dominant normally uh, in games this season. If you're just taking on the whole season, even the games that we haven't got the points in, even away from home in certain aspects... Um, we tend we tend to have more of the ball. We certainly dominate the, the territorial zones, um, you know, pinning the opponents back, and, and that didn't happen. Um, and a lot of that seemed to be, um, even from a non-statistical point of view, was a lot of a wastage of the ball usage. I think Wilder alluded to that after the game as well. A lot of bad choices in terms of decision making, especially, especially, yeah, especially as the game filtered down to the end. I'm I sure was, you felt the frustration. I, I was going mad. Um... Yeah, yeah, just those last few minutes, I was there was at least two instances where I think it was Basham. Uh, Basham had a really good game, which again we'll touch on in a bit. But I think it was Basham and Holmes just just knock it down the line into space. I was going bananas. They, you know, they essentially essentially just dribbled straight into a Leeds defender, and then suddenly Leeds are back on the attack. And of course, we you know we saw it uh, just over a week ago with the Aston Villa game. That's exactly what happened to us. We kind of uh, failed to keep the ball in a, a non-dangerous area and got stung with it. And I was, you know, I feel like that's happened so many times this season. It's probably only a handful of times, but it it seems to happen, you know, quite regularly. I was I was actually surprised that, you know, in the end, we actually did manage to close the game out. But yeah, I, I totally agree. Some of our uh, decision-making there was um, <clears throat> was pretty poor. And the, the way that we kind of kept hold of the ball was also not great, I thought, in that second half. Um, yeah. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the penalty decisions then. So, I mean, how, how did you see the uh, the one that was actually that was given that uh, was the foul on Fleck and um, Sharp ended up scoring from? I think the the Fleck one was quite poignant uh, in the the week where we had the whole Spurs Liverpool debate with Harry Kane. Um, it was such a similar incident, um, apart from it being a defender and not a goalkeeper, and it was what I would call a modern day penalty. You know, it. it, it 
as, a, as an opposition fan, you're probably screaming that he's gone down too easy, he's slung himself to the floor. But in reality, he saw the contact and he left the leg dangling and there clearly was a touch on the leg. So for me, it was a penalty. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree, uh, even with you know trying to take the uh, red and white striped spectacles off if that is such a yeah um well i mean watching it uh watching it in the ground um so i sat on the carp and uh first of all i thought the pass was over hit to fleck um and then it looked like very minimal contact and i was i was really surprised watching it live that it was a given as a penalty um particularly as we've you know we've not had many this season i think that's our that's our second in the league i think we had obviously had one against preston in the cup but I think Burton away is the only other penalty we've had. Yeah, yeah um, that's the only one I can think of. Yeah, so I, I was surprised. And then, um, you know, I've watched it again a few times. And, uh, yeah, there, there is some contact. It is exaggerated. And I think that's a very a very good um, uh, description you've, you've applied there of a, a modern-day penalty. I mean, I think... Uh, I, I can't remember who it is actually brings him down now. Which uh, what, Who's the Leeds player? It's uh, O'Kane, right? Oh, O'Kane, okay, okay. yeah. I've got I was just about to say that. I think... What it did show, if nothing else, was a lot of intelligence from Fleck. Um, he's, he's not, you know, he's not the sharpest off the mark, George Fleck. As I think we all know, you know, that first five yards is not his greatest attribute. He has got some, but that's not one. But seeing that, you know, O'Kane was lazily across there, uh, and, and Fleck made a fantastic decision to knock it past him. I think, uh, you know, I heard a lot of people talking about it on several other podcasts for other games, and it's it doesn't matter where the ball ends up these days. If the contact's there, then the penalty's given. So, you know, Fleck knew he could knock that straight out for the goal kick and there was no no referee in the world going to say you weren't getting that ball. He just had to initiate the contact and, and O'Kane bought it. Yeah, and I, I think, um, I, I mean, I think O'Kane's reaction was the thing on on, uh, on reflection, watching the replays that made me think, oh, actually, it probably is a penalty because he kind of puts his hands on his head, but it's more in a, oh, oh crap, what have I done kind of way rather than like, I can't believe you've given that. Um, yeah, so look guilty. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then we have the, uh, the the tackle on Clark towards the end, which um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't believe that wasn't given. <laughs> it's just yes. sort of, uh, you know, Clark's kind of uh, breaking to the byline, and um, defender slides in. The ball is the ball is nowhere near the defender when he makes his slides. It's not like you know he slides and takes man and ball. He essentially has to go all the way through Clark to get close to it. Um, the ref actually gave a corner. I'm not even remotely sure that the defender got anything on the ball whatsoever. So I, I don't know. That, I don't know about you, but that felt like a, a cop-out decision where uh, the, the first penalty was in his mind of the referee, that is. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that was, that was if the first penalty was a modern-day penalty, that, that decision there was a modern-day referee trying to even the game up in some way. It, it, was, it was, by the laws of the game, it looked every side a penalty. Although I must say, I, my heart was in my mouth with Stevens at the end and the handball. I haven't seen that actually. Um, again, and obviously I was because I was on the cop, so I'm a long way away from it. So what, what actually happened there? So as the ball gets cleared out, uh, it may have been O'Connell or Basham that headed it out. It's uh, Stevens is, is running back into position, um, and the ball's headed towards him. Fine, no problem. You know, if it would have hit him in the arm, then you're thinking that's fine. It's nothing he can do. It, it come quite quickly, so it's more of a reaction. But his arm actually comes away from the body and hits the ball out by his side. Um, from the angle the ref had, I think it was quietly, it's a slightly obscured view. Um, I, I think 3,500 Leeds fans saw it. Um, <laughs> but it, it definitely, definitely, if that was against us, we would have been screaming penalty. I, I think by the laws of the game, we got away with one there. Right, fair enough. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, you know, as we kind of talked to the top, I was, I was happy to to get away with this one. I think, uh, you yeah. know, we've obviously done the double over leads, which is uh, is a fantastic achievement, really. I mean, you know, let, let's not kind of dismiss that. It was certainly I would never have expected that at the start of this season that we've taken six points off Leeds, obviously taken four points off Wednesday as well, um, and you know, we're, we're comfortably above them in the league and look much more likely to. Uh, get a playoff spot than they do as it as it stands. I mean, it's a really phenomenal achievement, I guess. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm just looking here. I've got the, the tweet that I saw uh, Bramall Lane HQ tweet out yesterday. Um, and I, I've had a lot of retweets, which is Chris Wilder's record in Yorkshire derbies. Oh, two yeah. Seasons. Played 11, won nine, drew two, lost none, scored 27, conceded 11. So, I mean... You've got to be happy with that, haven't you? That's not a bad ratio, is it, when it comes to Yorkshire derbies? <laughs> yeah, not all. And I think actually going back pre-Wilder, I think I saw a similar stat that is, is something like 18 Yorkshire derbies now that we've, uh, we're have we unbeaten. And I think our last defeat was, I don't know, against I think it was Barnsley or someone like that. Um, I don't even know who was our manager, whether it was Adkins or even earlier than that. But yeah, that's uh, that's that, that local manager restoring local pride. That's all you need, you see. Just, uh, just get a, a Yorkshireman in charge and everything's fine. It is, it is it is true though because that as much as that is the case you know we all, we all obviously don't want to lose the Yorkshire derbies because they're important in our season the momentum that winning the Yorkshire derbies has given us this year was massive if you look at the results after the Wednesday game although we had the odd loss the run that we ran on after that was fantastic after the Leeds first game we obviously went top of the league at that time um, and, the, and the momentum that can place now in this squad especially with the opposition in the next couple of games that this could, this could be a big result in the season this yeah Definitely. Um, all right. So we, we were talking uh, about the importance of, uh, of the Yorkshire factor there. So I, I think that brings us quite nicely onto uh, Billy Sharp, who is, of course, that fat lad from Sheffield, our captain, back in the team for this game. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I felt like this. Uh, I, I wasn't unhappy that Sharp hasn't been playing for a few weeks. I thought, uh, you know, some of his his last couple of games were were not that effective against uh, Preston is one that springs to mind where the team as a whole, to be fair, was very ineffective. We're missing a lot of players from that game. But I think I think there was another game after that or around that as well where you just thought like mm, maybe we should we should be playing Clark and Donaldson and you know, maybe and then Wilson comes in as well. Um but yeah, Sharp, so Sharp was for me a little bit of a surprise inclusion in this game. Um it almost felt like uh you know, Wilder had looked at that stat that uh, Sharper scored in five, I think five of his last five games against Leeds or something like that, or he scored five goals yeah. in his last five games against Leeds. And I thought, oh, well, easy money, just just give him a start then. Um, yeah. I mean, what was your sort of thinking on that, about his uh, inclusion? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised to see it for this game because of the Wolves game and what the interviews in the week that Wilder had had, but I completely agree. If you look at a 10-game sample size, I think I think what I noticed with Billy is that wasn't actually the case against Leeds, but generally we need to fill, feed Billy the chances to score, which sounds stupid in effect. But when you're a team like Sheffield United, sometimes away from home um, or playing the bigger boys, Clark, Donaldson, that physicality, the involvement that they have overall in a game can give you more output. It can make space for others. It's the pressing from the front. Billy's a trier, but maybe the physicality side of it, you know, Donaldson, Certainly has that clock, has had that in abundance, although he's gone off, off the boil slightly recently, but we'll probably discuss that later in terms of regression to the mean. Um, but 
that's normally what I feel about Billy. We need to give Billy a lot of chances. Whereas on Saturday, I thought he was his involvement was fantastic. Yes, I, I'm. I completely agree. Because um, you know, I was kind of thinking afterwards, like, uh, and this always sounds like a silly. Th- so a thing that annoys me with, um, well, maybe annoys isn't the right word, but you know, man of the match is whoever scores a goal, right? You know, when you're watching football on TV, it's like who gets the man of the match or who has the highest rating. It's well, it's who scored the winning goal, and it's just you know. Yeah, that, that's just the way it gets uh, gets awarded, and that always annoys me because it's such a odd, such an odd way to reflect on who played well. Um, so I, I was kind of thinking after this game, you know, well, if you if you take away Sharp's two goals from this game, then you can still say that was an excellent performance. He was, as you say, he was very heavily involved. Um, I looked at the stats. He, I think he, I don't have this in front of me, but I think he had thirty three touches, which is is quite a lot for a striker who plays. The way he does, whereas um, you know Clark tends to be dropping a bit deeper and you know trying to hold the ball up and flick it on, etc. Whereas Sharp is kind of this out and out poacher. So for him to have you know thirty odd touches of the ball is is pretty high for him, I thought. And you know he covered a lot of ground. He had as many as many completed passes as Fleck, which was seventeen, which again is you know speaks to you know, how 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 much he was holding the ball up and and you know linking up with his teammates as well. Um, so yeah, absolutely agree that he was, um, you know, his best game for a while. Even if you kind of ignore the goals, which you know, there's no reason to, because uh, the the first one was a phenomenal strike. You know, oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just me, yeah. And Andy Gray, you know, you don't save those sons. That was that was that's what that was. Yeah, I mean, the more I watch it, the better. Uh, the better it is technically. I mean, he's, he kind of, uh, you know, he, he has to run away from goal to kind of get in position to strike it. And then, yeah, the, 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 just the sheer quality of the strike, the goalkeeper really did have no chance. And, you know, that, I think that Sharp is such a, such an enigma this season, I think, because, you know, we kind of said, um, you said there, you know, we need to create chances for him, but at the same time, he does seem to just, he just scores, you know, like as soon as he gets a chance, it, it is generally a goal. And, um, you know, I, I tweeted this out uh, yesterday. I think it was, as you've obviously seen. But his um, to give you some stats for for Sharp, he has a seventy two percent of his shots are actually on target, which is a, a phenomenally high rate. I looked at the the top twenty scorers in the championship. Uh, it's far and away the best. Uh, I think the average was uh, it's about fifty seven percent. So he's a, he's a good fifteen percent above average and. And way above the uh, the next high, so I think is um, Albert Adoma of Villa. Um, so yeah, he, he basically just uh, he hits the target every time he has a shot near enough, you know, three quarters of the time, which is is just ridiculous. When you think, you know, I was thinking back to his goals, thinking, oh, maybe he's just got tap ins, but you know, obviously there's the there's the Leeds goal, uh, you know, there's the the goal, uh, the first goal against Derby, for example, where yes, the goalkeeper's kind of. Um, you know, miskicked it straight to him, but it's it's still a hell of a finish from from thirty yeah. yards first time to pass it into the net. I mean, yeah, to to be hitting the target with the rate he is, it's it it really is quite amazing. And you know, you could almost make a case for him being in the team every game, even if his kind of involvement isn't as high as we were just talking about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Sharp Sharp's a typical example of goals win games. Um, you know, as much as I've just discussed his output and you did there, and it was much better on Saturday overall. With Billy Sharp in your team, invariably he's going to score eventually. Uh, I think one, one interesting thing I found is, you know, we all know Leon's, Leon's having this fantastic season, but if you look at a goals per game, 90-minute ratio in terms of appearances to goals, they've got the exact same, 0.6. So, you know, I think some people have been looking recently before Saturday saying, you know, Sharp, 
I might not be the main striker, might not be this and that. He's matching now the best strike, one of the best strikers in the league in terms of goal scored. So he certainly has the output there. It's not gone away. Um, it may have literally have been an overall output thing. And if Billy Carr continues to play like that on Saturday in terms of the passes that he spoke about, I think one thing I saw was the duels that he won as well. If we talk at you know, the 50-50s in the channels, mm. that's the most I've seen Billy win before. Brilliant hold-up play. Uh, balls that he shouldn't have won. 70-30, 60-40 balls. He was, he was running the defender right down into the touchline, winning the ball or winning a throw-in. And that, that brings the rest of the team you know, up the pitch. Pressure's off. Territory of possession. Uh, if Billy continues to play like that, he could well be the, the best striker in the second part of the season, if you will. Yeah. And... Uh... You know, I've, I've from a sort of uh, you know a pure fan perspective, I, I love seeing him score. You know, it was like a a dream come true last season. You know, managed by United fan, captain by United fan. United fans a top scorer. Um, so every every time he hits the back of the net, it's uh, you know to get a bit sort of sentimental for a moment. It is that kind of extra enjoyable. I think seeing him do it in you know in the colours of the team that he supports, it's it's very oh, satisfying yeah. as a fan. Can we just add as well? We can't have a Billy Sharp conversation without his throwing up. He just scored his 200th and 201st goal in the EFL. Yeah, the man is an absolute machine. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is amazing. Um, and and kind of on a on a you know t- uh, related note to that, I guess. Um, you know, when I was looking at those stats for Sharp, I did notice he hasn't actually taken that many shots. So, you know, going down the list of those top twenty scorers, there's, there's very few who've taken less shots. Than he has, so he's taken twenty-five for his for his ten goals, of which eighteen is on target, um, which, which kind of does suggest what we're talking about that he, he doesn't get as many opportunities, um, you know, as, as some of the other strikers uh, in the league are getting with other teams. Um, it, or, I mean, I guess an alternative reading of that is he kind of he kind of knows his limitations when it comes to shooting from a from a low percentage position. I mean, you know, it still shows how deadly he is in front of goals, but he, he kind of knows. He knows his game now. At, uh, I think he's thirty-one, right? I believe I believe that's right. Um, so thirty-one, he, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, you know, he understands his game perfectly at this stage of his career, and he knows like this is not a not a position perhaps where I should be shooting from like twenty odd yards when I've got an easy pass to try and work a better opportunity. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's simplistic to say, oh, sharp. You know, just just shoot more and you'll get more goals. You know, he, he kind of it, you know he kind of knows our system, I guess, and. I guess also it feels kind of emblematic of, um, you know, I know this is something that you've obviously uh, tweeted about a little bit and I've talked about on the previous podcast as well, that United generally, you know, uh, our expected goals uh, and general kind of clear-cut chances creation is is not that high or the number of shots that we take in a game is not that high relative to other teams in the league. And we, we generally do try and work a great goal-scoring chance rather than, you know, constantly taking shots from everywhere. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's that, that's brilliant, actually, when you're leading on from, from the Billy argument there. Because Billy Sharp's XG isn't actually that bad this year uh, in terms of his minutes per game ratio. I don't have the numbers updated from the, the game against Leeds. But it does fall into the, the wider United category of we don't create much, but what we do create is good. Um, and and that's, that's been the story of our season so far. When you consider the games that we've, we've lost we've created the chances and not took them. And the games that we've won, we've just took our chances. We actually have an extremely low conversion. Um, we're actually first in the league in terms of the, sh- the amount of shots we need to score a goal per game. Right. So there's, okay. no side that needs, there's no side that needs less shots per goal ah. than Sheffield United. 
um, which is quite an interesting stat that I fell across. Um, it, it's it's very reminiscent, really. I think of kind of a, the old. I don't want to compare it to that, but the old Chelsea teams and the Mourinho when they used to play in the Champions League. Um, that kind of you can dominate the game with the possession, but it's not. We're not like a, a Brentford. We're not a Wolves uh, or Bristol City. We're not going to have 50, 60 you know, key key passes, chances, not lots of shots on target. But when we do create something, it's invariably in the penalty box. Um, and, and you know, as XG goes to prove, they are the chances that fly in the back of the net. So, I wonder. It's definitely. I wonder oh, sorry. if that is. Sorry, I was just going to say. I wonder if that is a deliberate ploy or whether it's just kind of uh, a deliberate ploy by the management. I mean, or whether it is just. Uh, it's just the way that we are kind of so like the, that kind of um, that kind of outcome or output is just a result of the players and the style that we have, or whether we're actually, you know, Wilder's kind of deliberately saying, lads, do not shoot from twenty-five yards. I want you to work this ball around, and if there isn't a, you know, a good chance for a, a pass into the box or a, a good crossing chance, then I want you to retain possession and, and work it around. I wonder if that is something that we've kind of deliberately set out to have as our philosophy, or whether it's just kind of, um, I don't know. Uh, a limitation of the the players, or the, you know, the fact that Stevens can't like skin three men down the left, like Cessignon can, for example, or uh, <laughs> you know, or you know, Clark can't dominate in the air like we saw Lasaga do this weekend. I don't know what your sort of feeling is on that. I think I think both. <laughs> to yeah. be quite honest, um, without sitting on the fence. Well, I guess I we definitely... I guess we can't know either way, but it's interesting to speculate on. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, I think if you look at the way Chris Wilder's played over two seasons at Sheffield United as well as uh, his time at Northampton, he's very pragmatic, so he'll play to his style. So I think uh, if you look at Northampton fans on Twitter when he first came to us, they did they, they could play direct, um, but they also had obviously the Ricky Holmes type players who could do something out of the blue. I think at Sheffield United, it's been a style that is based on pinning the opposition back and dominating the game. Now with that, what happens is we, if we don't create in the first instance, I think we're I don't actually have the stats for this. It's one thing I'm trying to look at. Um, but we tend to dominate the second ball. So when the opposition clear it, we recycle the ball better than anyone else in the league. I think Paul Heckingbottom actually alluded to that on Saturday in his, in his interview after the game. He said Sheffield United, yeah, he said Sheffield United recycle the ball better than anyone in the division. It's, it's certainly something I've noticed just from an eye point of view. We recycle the ball. So the, the, this, you know, the, the performance side edge to it is pin the opposition back. If we're not creating the first instance, as you say, we don't have the players to do the take-ons. I think we're 21st in the league for take-ons. So we don't we don't skin players. We haven't got the, that type of dribbling ability, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why Holmes has actually been brought in. Um, but what we do we, is we whip the balls into the box or we play into the, this penalty area. If the opportunity doesn't present itself or the defence clear, we recycle the ball, but we keep the opposition pinned in, which is why, territory-wise, the highest percentage of our game is played in the opposition half. Um, and I, I definitely think that is a tactic. Um and as you say, then there's there's the technical aspect of it, which might well be coincidence, which is that we don't skin people, that we are quite controlled in possession. It's not fun, it's not thunder, blood and football. We're not Liverpool. It's not rock and roll. Yeah. Um, it's quite, I find it's quite a measured side. Yeah, definitely. You know, we look, we look, look for openings, look for gaps. And, and when you play that kind of style, quite naturally, it's a, it's a careful style. So you're not going to be wasting the ball, having a lot of shots from, from various angles that waste that, that opportunity of possession. Yeah, and I think a, um, a sort of common criticism that gets levelled uh, against United by our own fans, um, I guess in the last few, maybe maybe the last few weeks rather than the last few months when we've 
you know, in games where we've not done so well is that, you know, we're, we're moving the ball slowly or, you know, we're not like, um, you know, we're not, ta- you know, having a shot from long range. And I, I've kind of felt during that period where we've not done quite so well that, you know, that that kind of is just the way that we play and that that's kind of okay. The results will come if we keep, you know, hammering that philosophy, basically. Um, because as you say, when we, we we don't create too many chances, but the ones that we will create will be very high percentage and will more likely than not result in a goal. Um, I mean, I've actually, I certainly felt this in the, uh, I think it was the, I think it was the Wednesday game actually, um, as in the, the home game recently, where uh, I think before, I think it broke to Lundstrom or someone like that. It might even have been Fleck and, and I could see immediately that he was about to shoot and I was going, no, don't shoot. Like, yeah. I just said, what an odd situation as a fan to be in for, you know, yeah. I mean, admittedly, it was being closed down a bit. So I thought there's just no chance he's going to score from here. But, you know, generally as a football fan, you just, you, you're wanting your team to shoot because it's like, how are we going to score a goal if we don't shoot? But, you know, I think I've been, I've been conditioned watching Wilders United to think like, no, shooting from 20 odd yards is a, is a bad idea. Work it out wide. If the opportunity is not there, then we'll roll it around some more and just find, find that space. And eventually, as you say, because of the way we pin teams in, that more often than not, the chances will come uh, I think and we'll, that's, we'll get the win. I think that leads into as well why the midfield don't seem to score as many goals. Yeah, and I, 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 think, I, I think that's because tactically, I wouldn't say they're not being allowed to. You know, I think they have freedom to express themselves in a wilder team. But in terms of the shape of offensively, we clearly have a structure going forward. We're not a team that's going to have a structure defensively, but then say, okay, front players go and do as you wish. We clearly have a structure, and that structure is the central midfielders sit in on the 18-yard area. So when the ball's out wide with Stevens or Baldock or Basham, JOC overlapping, once that ball goes in the box, they're sat on the 18-yard box. That's to recycle the ball or to have maybe a shot from the rebound, but predominantly it's to get the ball down, control again, and recycle out wide. You can see that every single time we go forward. Um, and I, I do think that feeds into why the midfielders don't contribute as many goals as maybe some of us think they should. Yeah, um, you know, it would, would certainly take the burden off the strikers, but without that recycling, we might be getting counted against all the time. So it it's swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think that's a really excellent point you made there about um, the counter attack, actually, because I, I do feel that is um, well, maybe this is an obvious thing to say, but that, that does seem to be like the the area that we have been most vulnerable to this season is teams, you know, suddenly breaking on us. Um, well, that and shooting from 25 yards, I suppose. Although, you know, <laughs> in some of those instances, it's it, those have been on the counter-attack as well. You know, I think the Bristol goal, they, Bristol City, sorry, I, I still do that six weeks later. I'm still calling Bristol. Um, yeah, that, do, right, Someone will call us Sheffield. Yeah. Don't do it. No, exactly. It's a, it's, it's a karmic rebalancing there. Um, but yeah, I think even their goal kind of, you know, came on the counter and then they ducked inside and took a shot from long range. But um, yeah, so I think that's an excellent point about how that actually helps us defensively as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, I know we sort of uh, talked a little bit about this uh, prior to the podcast, you know, talking about goals from midfield. Because, um, uh, yeah, the, the other stat I saw bandied around uh, yesterday is that we, we now have the top scoring strike partnership in the championship uh, of Clark and Sharp with 25 goals. So that's better than any front two elsewhere in the league, including Wolves and Derby, who you know, have excellent strikers who've been banging them in. Um, but as you say, our goals from midfield is uh, is pretty minimal. Um, Brooks has two, and then Lundstrom, Fleck, Duffy, Coots, and Carruthers uh, all have just a single goal each. And um, yeah, I mean, as we said, you know, I think I think that is kind of 
the way that we the way that we try and play. Um, I, I think I think also I mean you know those players have been a little bit unlucky as well. I mean if you think of uh, if you think of Duffy, I mean I, I think he hit the post twice in that uh, in that Bristol City game. Uh, I know Fleck has Fleck has certainly hit the post a couple of times. I can remember the um, uh, the first game of the season against Brentford he hit the uh, hit the post from a free kick. Uh, he, the who was it we played the other week? Uh, oh, my mind has gone completely blank. Who do we draw with at home? That isn't Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, it was Aston Villa. Sorry, the defeat. Um, where yeah, Fleck, Fleck hit that. Yeah. Fleck hit that great shot from long range that the keeper got down to save. Um, so you know, I, I think yeah, I think as you said, you know, there is this is kind of a deliberate ploy to recycle the ball, but at the same time, you know. It's almost a bit misleading that those players have only scored one goal. That Duffy has just one goal to his name at this point. Oh, Duffy's is definitely Duffy's is definitely. Um, as you say, Bristol City game stands out like a sore thumb. Some of the strikes in that were fantastic. Um, goalkeepers as well have been very good against Duffy. I think an interesting one. I, I'm sure you saw it, Ben. I, I tweeted out at the weekend was um, Duffy's shots in this game. So five shots uh, in the Leeds game which is his highest this year in a game, uh, and three of them were outside the box, which might, it doesn't, it's not a big sample size, so you can't take that as, as the overall picture. Uh, it could completely be a, an anomaly, but might allude to what we were discussing there about the, the structure and the shape going forwards. Maybe uh, Wilder telling the guys, especially Duffy in that 10 role where he supports the strikers, if it's on, take the shot. You know, maybe maybe we're getting sussed out a little bit in terms of working it into the box from out wide or working in from a 10 roll. And yeah. if the pressure is not there, then then take the shot because that will eventually bring the defence out to come out and close Duffy down, which Duffy loves because then he plays those little chip passes in behind. Um, so th- that could well be something to look out for in the next few weeks. Hope I've not given anything away. Um, <laughs> and, and I certainly think it falls in with why Holmes was signed as well. Um I think Holmes, for me, looks like he's going to be a good player, but what I would call a frustrating player. Mm. Um, already, he's per night has jumped to the top of our dispossessed chart. Already, um, despite yeah, despite his small sample size, he's only uh, played about eighty minutes. How, what what yeah. is that stat then? Is that a is that like that's, a percentage of possessions? It's an it's the average based on yeah their minutes game uh, minutes played. Right. compared to the dispossessed so it's just an average so as you say it's just such a small sample size yeah. the only reason I mention it is because the, the frustration Holmes put in me when he came on in this game uh, I think a lot of that's enthusiasm to try and you know prove himself yeah, uh, prove he's worthy at the level which is great I love that enthusiasm but time and a place and all that um, but yeah I think that could be a reason why Holmes has been bought in as well if you look at Charlton good XG good XA lots of long range efforts as well so I, I think what we're probably looking at here in the second half of the season is playing the same way as we have through the first half, but with more variability and options. Mm. I, I really, uh, I really like that point you made there about, um, uh, I, I guess the adjustment to uh, Duffy's, uh, I guess, duties in this game in terms of uh, shooting from, you know, taking that opportunity to shoot from long range, and the, the fact that that will actually force opposition teams to. Uh, make an adjustment to us and you know play in a new way. Um, I think I think that definitely could be something that um, you know benefits us in the second half of the season. I think it's very astutely noted point there. Um, but yeah, I, I think Duffy, uh, you know Duffy was back in the side after a few weeks out, um, which I, I I presume was was form related. I mean, the, the, you know there was no kind of word on an injury or anything like that. And and you know to be fair, I thought he was. Uh, 
you know, not not at the level we've seen him at in those uh, last few games before he was left out. So um, I was ready to see him back in because I, I love watching him play. I think uh, uh, he's a, a fantastic footballer. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of a shame that he's already in his early 30s, although I suppose by the same token, he, he probably wouldn't be playing in League One in the Championship if he was like 25 or something. I mean... Oh, no, definitely not. He's one of the most... You know, he's one of the most skillful players that I've seen us have. Um, you know, probably the the whole time I've been watching United, to be honest, which is you know twenty odd years. He's he's fantastic, and yeah, he was he was right back at that that level this week, I think, um, which was great to see. And it, as you say, now that we've got Holmes as well, that kind of adds uh, adds a change up, I guess, for when you know Duffy can probably only play at that level for sort of sixty five, seventy minutes. So yeah, having somebody like Holmes who can you know play. If Duffy's tired or come on as a sub is is definitely going to be a big benefit to us, even if he did give the ball away a lot at the end of this game and drove me mad. <laughs> now, just 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 briefly on that as well, I think that's that's key what you said there about Duffy. He's going to get jaded at that age. He's played a lot of football as well in the last few years, you know, in promotion campaigns for Burton and then for us. They're long seasons, and he's been the integral player in both those seasons. So that's a lot of lot of pressure to shoulder and a lot of yards that he's ran. Yeah. Um, I think Holmes' Holmes' addition is good for that reason, but Brooks coming back as well will be absolutely massive. Um, the reason I say that is I feel as though I've said this for United for many years, uh, and it kills me because I understand that this is what costs them money. But United like pace. Um, it's the reason that we can't play on the counter attack away from home, despite some fans probably wanting us to. Uh, especially when you look at Wolves at the weekend, QPR. If you watch the highlights on, on you know, on the Championship, they were quite poor, but they sat in and played on the counter and nearly got a draw at the end. Uh, we're just unable to do that because we don't have the pace to threaten a team to do so. And, that, and Brooks isn't the quickest in the world, if you've seen him, but he does dribble with the ball very well and his movement's good. Yes. Um, and I, I think Brooks will be big uh, for that. I alluded to it to uh, a couple of fans who, who spoke to me on Twitter and I said, I can see us maybe in the second half of the season if Brooks has that level that he had just before he got injured, sorry, the fever, um, we might well see one striker played and Duffy and Brooks in the same team. Um, Duffy, Duffy in that kind of maybe deeper role, not not necessarily a number six or a number eight, a number ten still, but a little bit deeper. And Brooks just having a free roaming role off the striker, like we did it Wednesday away. Um, you know, have that striker up top for the physicality and the focal point, but the space that Brooks picks up uh, and, and that pace, I think, will be big for us in the second half of the season. Mm. And uh, yeah, on paper, that would be a very exciting prospect to watch as a fan. I think <laughs> it could be, uh, yeah, could be good. Um, yeah, I think just uh, just one last thing I just want to cover off on the subject of uh, you know lack of goals from midfield. I, I think we should also kind of note that there's there has been quite a high turnover among these players as well in terms of appearances. I mean, obviously Coots has been injured for a few months and it's not coming back. Lundstrom only got into the team after that injury. Uh, Carruthers is essentially um, a bit part player who you know doesn't even make the bench at the moment. Brooks has been ill for months, and then obviously the new guys, Evans, Leonard, and and Holmes have, have barely played yet. Barely had chances to uh, to really, you know, get on the score sheet. So it's it's not completely fair to say our midfield is totally shot shy by any stretch. And you know, it would be oh. it would be no surprise to me to see you know Fleck finish the season with five goals, Brooks with Brooks with five goals, assuming he comes back soonish. I guess it wouldn't wouldn't shock me at all to see that happening. Not through any kind of change in style on our part, just you know, a more. Uh, just a, the natural flow of things, I think. Yeah, no, I could, couldn't agree more. Just briefly, um, I, I want to tip my hat to Lee Evans as well, who I think has been brilliant. Uh, I know, I know the Wolves game apart, no one was particularly good in the Wolves game. Holmes was okay, Evans was okay, but 
Evans has been fantastic. Uh, the, the passing range is unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I think Lundstrom did exceptionally well um, in that Coots kind of role. He isn't Paul Coots. I don't think he's as good as Paul Coots yet, and certainly frustrating at times. But some of the assists he had, I'm thinking Villa away, the Donaldson assist, that's that's a great example of what Lundstrom could become, given time and confidence. But Evans is, is a ready-made player for that role. Um, and, and finally, on the Evans one as well, one thing that I know frustrates the life out of every United fan around the world is our set-pieces goals. Um, Lee Evans' as ex expected assist at Wigan was around about the seven mark. Uh, and five of those were from corners. Basically, his delivery from corners and free kicks is fantastic, uh, generally. I know it may not have been at the weekend, um, but generally he puts in a fantastic set piece in good areas, which I think for us might not necessarily be the problem. It's actually been the finishing. Uh, yeah. Jack, O'Con- Jack O'Connell here being a main instigator in that compared to last year. But it is another string to the bow that I think if we can add to the second half of the season, it makes us a very dangerous team because one, one good start saw for betting people out there is Sheffield United average more than six corners a game. Yeah. I think we're always second in the league, I think, um, behind. Yeah, we are. Yeah, just, yeah. Need, just need to finish a few more. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. talked about uh, I've talked about old Jack O'Connell uh, and his terrible finishing from set pieces this season several times <laughs> on this podcast. I, I mean, it, it's uh, it's frustrating because it's, uh, it's um, I'm not even sure this is a word, it's unexplainable. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's inexplicable. That's probably the word I was looking for. You know, last season, he just finished those chances. And this season, he just hasn't. And I, I don't think it's like a... It, it, it's almost like not really... You can't really say, oh, his, his technique has got worse or anything like that. It's just for some reason, he's just not been finishing them. It's It's been a mystery yeah. to me. I agree. Well, good news for United fans. XG on corners is still quite high. So if we're aggressing on our general performance backwards... Set pieces should move up higher in future. So yes, um, yeah, I, good old regression to mean it can mean a good thing as well. Correct. <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I've just got a couple of other things I want to touch on um, before we finish up this podcast. So uh, yeah, I mean, I want to talk about uh, Aliowski briefly, uh, who was the kind of uh, right-sided attacking player for for Leeds in this game. Uh, I, I think his performance can be summed up with just two words, which are "oh dear." Um, <laughs> this is that was one of the most kind of hapless, useless performances I've seen for a while. I mean, it was almost—I almost felt bad for him. Apart from I was kind of expecting him to just sort of wang one in from thirty yards at some point in this game. I mean, he was—he was just trying. You know, he, he was trying. I mean, the one thing I said to my, my dad and my brother I was at this game with was, well, at least you can't accuse him of of hiding. You know, he had a, he had a terrible first twenty minutes where everything, you know, he was dribbling the ball out for throw-ins under no pressure whatsoever. He was just whacking it out of play. He was falling over too easily. Um, but he, you know, he kept showing for the ball. He kept trying, you know, flicks and overhead kicks and stuff. But it was just awful. <laughs> I felt terrible yeah. for him. <laughs> if it yeah. had been a Leeds player, if it had been an United player, I would have just felt really, really sad for him. I think. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's almost pity, isn't it? Not anger. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's a player in there. I've seen him on you know, on Sky sometimes when he's played for them. Very good player. Oh, there's absolutely, good player yeah. I completely strikes agree. Me as, strikes me as the most unwilderish player, though. Yes. Um, you know, it's just... Wilder does... This is not looking against Chris Wilder. It's the most un-United player as well, but that type of player who's got that level of inconsistency in them uh, and who... I wouldn't say he's more about himself than the team, but who certainly is trying to trying things more for himself and thinking within that team structure, that's just, yeah, it's the most un-United player on the pitch. And 
on Saturday. Fortunately, it showed. Yeah, I was I was having a similar conversation um, this weekend actually, and yeah, just talking about like I can't imagine I mean, exactly that. I can't imagine that guy Alioski playing for United, and I can't imagine someone like Jack Grealish playing for United either. I mean, I think Grealish is a you know a, a decent uh, attacking midfielder in the Championship, but you know can can you imagine him at United? He'd get like he'd just get abused constantly. You know the sort of the preening, the falling over. I mean, I don't want to get all oh United are holier than thou or anything like that, but. He, it just wouldn't fit with the culture that um, that has been built at this team over the last two years, and you know, I'm I'm very, you know, I take a lot of pride in that. I think uh, as yeah. a fan that you know, you, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's almost prosaic, I guess. You know, back back to our roots. You know, the, the good old days of football, probably before you and I were even watching football, I guess. Um, but yeah. you know, it is actually something you can take pride in. I think that you know, we are generally an honest bunch of players, I guess. Who you know. They work hard. They're playing to the kind of maximum level of their ability. Generally, um, for most of them, this is the the biggest stage that they have played on, and potentially the biggest stage they will play on, unless you know they manage to take United up. Um, and yeah, I, I think somebody, as you say, like Alioski is, is is very unwilder. That's a very a very good description. Um, but yeah, and then the other one. Um, who I guess is a bit of a contrast is uh, is Le Soga for Leeds, who was the striker who scored the equalising goal. Um, I thought he was excellent in this game. Uh, a, a complete contrast to uh, to the game at Elland Road, where he he kind of just looked like someone who'd, who'd come out of the pub, basically. You know, just completely overweight, just didn't look like he has a footballer's physique or anything like that. But I thought he was extremely good in this game. Yeah, it definitely. Couldn't agree more. Ellen Road, he looked like the old wrestler Bam Bam Bigelow, I thought. <laughs> um, it, it, ridiculously like that. Uh, just, and I tweeted out on the, on the Friday, it's so immobile. Um, that's one thing I thought United could be really capitalised on in this game. We can push the defensive line forward. They got a bit of pace on the wings, but without Saiz, you know, Lasaga's not mobile at all, but he did look a lot fitter, a yeah. lot sharper. And I, To be fair, his movement when he pinned Fleck for the goal and the header as well. God, you've got to give credit on that header. He's just headed it from the 18-yard box with a chips cross into the bottom corner. Nothing Blackman could have done. It was just a great header. It, it was a very good header. I, I, I was annoyed when I saw that it was Fleck who uh, was trying to pick him up because I feel yeah. like, I, I, I don't know if there is a stat for this, but I feel like Fleck has been like the sort of the man on the scene as the opposition has been scoring so many times this this season. I, I don't mean that in a it's his fault kind of ways. You know, he's he's just been the guy who's been in the vicinity of the player who's ended up scoring. So every time I see him picking somebody up, I'm like, oh God, no, what's going to happen now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. technically, midfield-wise, it's brilliant from Fleck to be in that position. You know, he, he's covered Jay, Jack O'Connor losing the ball yeah. uh, on the right wing and he's, he's got him busted a gut to get back in there. If you see, he's, he's sprinted mm. 20 metres to get back in there. He's no right to actually even be there, but yeah, I, I think Fleck and Lasaga are an aerial jewel. I'm having my £10 worth on Lasaga. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um yeah, and then another player who was really good in this game, uh, and, and I know you uh, talked about this um, on Twitter as well, a little bit as well, that uh, Chris Basham, uh, who I think was, uh, I'm a, a very big fan of Chris Basham. Uh, I think he kind of uh, is emblematic of, uh, I guess, the, the way that we play and the, the attitude of the team. And what I was saying earlier about players kind of playing at their, at their peak and their highest level, um, but at the same time, I thought he was pretty poor for the last few games, and was potentially thinking, um, you know, there may be a, there may be a case to actually leave him out of the team. But then he uh, he turned in arguably his best performance of the season, I think, this weekend. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, um, just brilliant. 
man of the match for me. Uh, I know, I know people will maybe look at Sharp in that instance, but definitely Bash, uh, man of the match defensively, an absolute rock. Um, just looking at some of the tweets I put out for those that don't know. Uh, we got uh, so interesting. Most tackles in the game, most interceptions in the game. Uh, offensively, eight long balls attempted, five completed. Brilliant passing range. Uh, energy up and down that right flank as well. He makes Baldock look, I wouldn't say better than he is, because I think Baldock's good. But Basham makes Baldock look better. Um, because Baldock's end product is, isn't always there. It's more about his legs and his energy and what he provides. But with Basham, you're getting that added quality on his day, certainly. He has been worse recently. Um, but on Saturday, I thought just absolutely brilliant defensively. Um, and again, if he continues like that, Chris Basham's levels are going far and above what anyone thought two or three years ago. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, the, the energy that Basham has allows Baldock to, uh, you know, essentially play as like a almost an out-and-out winger at times. You know, I, I tend to look at the average positioning of our players um, in the app. So for score after games, just to kind of get a, you know, a, a feel for the... Uh, the balance of of our team, and you know the amount of times that Baldock is like his average position is basically level with the average position of our strikers, and that that is pretty much as a result of having Basham behind him, who can can get up and down, and you know cover defensively, but also you know get the kind of ferry the ball into an area where Baldock can get hold of it. So yeah, definitely, um, definitely agree. A, a great performance from him, and uh, yeah, you certainly make a case for him being man of the match. I think as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he, he was certainly mine, anyway. Uh, I, I thought he dealt with the threats down his side brilliantly and covered in the area as well in that last 10 minutes. Uh, through, you know, United were throwing bodies in the way and were winning headers, but Basham was just constantly... It's the interceptions as well, I think. You know, it stops that danger. But we see a lot of stats on clearances. Pontus Janssen in this game had 20 aerial wins. You know, oh, fantastic stat. Basham makes that interception, so we don't even need to worry about clearing the ball or blocking it. Um, and that anticipation quite often puts us on the front foot as well. All right, Jay, thanks so much for uh, for coming on. It was a really uh, a really enjoyable uh, chat with you. Um, and yeah, is there any? Uh, I know you don't have a blog yet, which which you definitely should because uh, you know I follow you on Twitter and some of your uh, your tweets are very interesting and insightful. And you know you you have a lot of kind of uh, statistical information about United, which is very interesting to read. Um, so yeah, you should definitely definitely get a blog when you have some free time. But uh, yeah, is there is there anything you want to plug your uh, your your Twitter account, anything like that? Uh, yeah, Blades of Life. Um, very poor Twitter handle, but it kind of makes sense for me. Uh, so Blades of Life night is the Twitter handle. You can probably find enough Ben's there. Just want to plug the pod as well. Uh, I've listened to it three or four times overall, uh, and I've seen other people tweeting about it before. Ben, it's a brilliant pod, uh, especially considering you do it just volunteering your spare time. Well done, mate. Congratulations, and thank you very much for having me on. That's that's very kind of you, and yeah, I, I definitely did not pay Jay to say that. I promise. <laughs> no, he really didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Jay. Thanks very much, and uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch, and uh, hopefully have you on the podcast again in the future. But yeah, thanks so much for giving up your time to talk about this win, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have more wins to talk about in the not too distant future. <laughs> no problem, mate. Take care. So thanks once again to Jay for giving up his time to uh, to talk to me on a Monday evening about United. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at bladesarelife underscore 90. So that's blades are the letter life underscore 90, which I strongly recommend you do as he has um, 
he has far more interesting and insightful things to say about Sheffield United than I do, um, which is why it was a very great pleasure to have him on this podcast. Uh, you can, of course, uh, follow the uh, official uh, BladesPod Twitter handle as well. So it's just at BladesPod, where you'll get all the uh, latest uh, news about new episodes and um, any other bits of information that I think are worth sharing as well. Um, yeah, thanks very much again for listening and subscribing. As always, shares and retweets and reviews, etc. Very much appreciated. Uh, and I will be back soon. Thanks again.